0: The Selectors Show Let's Talk About ESG is sponsored by Invesco. Today's professional investors are overloaded with more information than ever. At Invesco, we help professional investors see the possibilities ahead by cutting through the noise to the ideas that matter. Visit Invesco.com to see how. Invesco. Let's advance together. Capital at risk.
1: Hello and welcome to CityWare Selectors podcast. Let's talk about ESG. of today is Henrik Ponson, Head of ESG at Union Investment. Henrik, thank you for joining us today.
2: Thanks for the invitation.
1: Henrik, in terms of uh, the last couple of weeks, we were all focused on COP26 and what it means in the long run. Now, I was wondering from the asset manager perspective, what is the significance of the event? What were its biggest milestones and what was maybe potentially missing from what has been agreed on?
2: Yeah, I think COP was again a very important event because it made clear again that sustainability has come to stay. However, it was again a COP which was mainly focusing on ambitions and only, yeah, besides focusing on action. And I think this is an issue because when I look back on 1995, when we had the first COP in Berlin, This is already a whole generation ago. And all these COPs, um, people participating, actually did nothing else but defining stipulating new ambitions. However, we didn't manage to reduce emissions in in this generation. So just defining ambitions is obviously not enough to arrive in the sustainable future we're all um, wishing for. On the other hand side, I um, have to see that there are some actions which were defined. So, first, phase out of coal. Um, As we speak right now, it's still unclear what the final text will be. But phasing out coal, this is not only ambition, this is for me also action level. Another action which was defined was not only to focus on carbon, but, only, but also on methane. And um, th- this is just for me, a signal that we start to understand how big the variety of issues is we, we, we have to cope with. A third action is that more and more participants understand that we can only aim or arrive in a sustainable future if we work together. So that developed countries um, at least started to support undeveloped ones. An uh, example is the support of Switzerland, if I got this right, to Ecuador, or that the community understood that South Africa cannot do the phase out of coal alone. A last example is um, that um, there was uh, uh, an initiative of some automotives to really stop building internal combustion engines and to start with electric uh, mobility um, kind of close. So to sum it up, what I don't like is, it was again mainly on ambitions. What I like is that we started more than with former com- uh, conferences to talk about concrete actions and um, altogether. The the message is clear, sustainability has come to stay.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Henrik, I think I would like to focus on the whole electric cars evolution because Germany is the place where we have the biggest car manufacturers. And as a result, I was wondering from the union investment perspective, can you already see kind of like companies that are progressing quite nicely towards that goal? Or there are still speed bumps along that road?
2: I think Volkswagen is an example where a late starter can progress very fastly. So um, the electric, uh, uh, electrification strategy of Volkswagen is in our point of view, a leading one. And um, therefore we also decided this year to open Volkswagen again for our sustainable investments where they were excluded for years due to their governance issues. We came to the conclusion that their electrification strategy is now, let's say more important to be supported by us than the criticized, the criticism we still have on the governance. So maybe this is the best example that a late start doesn't necessarily mean that, that you uh, arrive at the latest uh, at the end.
1: Henrik, I know that Greenpeace Germany, for example, filed a lawsuit against Volkswagen. In terms of the perspective on electrification and what that means for investors, does it change your kind of case in any way? Because you were saying that they are moving quite nicely along towards this goal.
2: We are, of course, listening to Greenpeace as we listen to everybody and all NGOs, all relevant NGOs. However, this is not changing our opinion and our position this is because i don't think that it is a good idea to sue um, a relative good car company good in the meaning of forward looking really transitional approach um, when there are plenty of other car manufacturers which are worse with their transition uh, uh um, ways somehow it's a kind of utopian approach or not realistic approach saying all companies not matching a 1.5 degree scenario right now need to be sued of course we can sue everybody but that's this wouldn't change won't change anything so if this is to put more pressure on transition we like the idea but as it is in my point of view, more following an unrealistic approach, like everyone will stop driving cars right now. Even in Siberia, they will drive with electric cars in 10 years time. No, I don't think that this will happen. So I have to admit um, the plans of Volkswagen are not matching the 1.5 scenario. Greenpeace is right there in my point of view. However, I acknowledge that the strategy of Volkswagen is by far better than most of the strategies we see in the automotive sector, and this is what we appreciate.
1: When we think about the Volkswagen case, so you said that you exited on the corporate governance uh, grounds, like four in Dieselgate, obviously, and then re-entered based on their good trajectory on electrification, which nicely leads me to this whole dilemma that the industry is facing. How do they na- navigate engagement versus divestment, are those two absolutely separate things, or they can work together? Because I've heard the view that engagement is paramount, and we are not going to divest because then otherwise we're punishing companies. But on the other hand, if you don't have any lever to pull to influence companies in a positive way, then is it just an empty threat in that case?
2: Yeah, I think... It's not, the question is not engagement or exclusion. The answer is engagement and exclusion because you can only really actively engage if you have the opportunity to exclude. Otherwise you fight without any weapon. And um, therefore engagement and even more sustainable investing is a case for active investment because only as an active investor, You can have a conviction on a very company. As a passive investor, your only conviction is that the company actually doesn't care, only the market is important. Engagement can only really, you know, come to a result if you have the backing of exclusion and if it's focused on companies and not on markets. Uh,
1: And in terms of engagements, Can you give me an example of the most recent uh, successful one that union investment team carried out and maybe a divestment that resulted from that?
2: Yeah, very prominent one was uh, the mining company Bali, where we decided after the last dam broke that our engagement uh, uh, activities weren't enough. And that we really said, okay, we go to the media and we're saying we're going to exclude them as we did. Um, positive examples are the discussions we had with many uh, automotives in Germany for uh, um, conflict materials uh, so this is also connected to mining or the you know we call them where earth uh, you need to produce batteries for electro, uh, for electronification. so that they made sure that on the whole supply chain, uh um that the rights of people are respected there the working rights especially and then we also have uh yeah regularly uh, um, um successes regarding the governance so we publish a study every year where we rank the governance quality of german companies and we made them more and more transparent within recent years and transparency is the start of good governance. Yeah. And uh, there can't be uh, too much transparency transparency with regard to governance, if you ask me. So then uh, there are also, let's say, a third example for successful uh, engagement activities, which is when we um, manage to um, move companies to declare what, what their lobby activities are. Because we recognized uh, in recent years that there were some companies who declared on their web pages that they are just big supporters of sustainability, but where their lobby organizations were actually talking a different language. So by you know disconnecting this and by making uh, by, by let's say convincing them that they need to make this uh, transparent, we see that they somehow. Um, yeah, became more consistent in their way of speaking and more importantly, dealing. Um, Yeah, this is, um, to sum it up, engagement is very important, also with regards to our climate strategy, because as all the other portfolio managers, we can only decarbonate our portfolio when we manage that the companies we are investing in investing in decarbonize themselves and therefore our engagement will become more and more intense and more and more structured in the future and therefore to come back to your question exclusion or to have a sword at the back to have a weapon in the back is so important however excluding too early helps nobody because then we just delegate the issue to somebody else who is investing in the company. So our, let's say mission, our task as, a, as an investment company is to move the companies which are reliably transforming. So the main question is not, are they already green or are they still brown? The main question is, or the most important question is, How do we bring the still brown companies to a green future? Um, So this is why engagement and exclusion are like twins. (laughs) You you shouldn't separate them. And uh, yeah, while we are working on all the dimensions, the E, the S, the G, and I gave some examples on this.
0: Today's professional investors are overloaded with more information than ever. From digesting market and economic data to probing new trends and ideas. At Invesco, we help professional investors see the possibilities ahead by cutting through the noise to the ideas that matter. With a proven past and an eye on the future, we bring the latest thought-provoking investment analysis and diverse ideas directly to professional investors. Visit Invesco.com to see how. Invesco. Let's advance together. Capital at risk.
1: I'm glad that we moved the conversation towards net zero targets, because when you think about different pathways for different sectors, you don't really have a policy framework out there, for instance, or kind of like government-approved Uh, let's say list of how to look at these things so as an asset manager how are you overcoming those hurdles of lack of compatibility or lack of the framework that you can for example use to assess companies and see if their transition plan is credible or not especially because you need to back it up with science because companies can just choose whatever is more comfortable for them whatever meets their kind of like objectives
2: yeah we work with the data of leading sustainability data providers, but this is data everyone could have, was willing to pay for it. So even as important as this is the data only we have by conducting more than 4,000 company meetings every year, which is an average 20 a day. So also today colleagues spoke to 20 different companies, collected the relevant information and bring them into our sustainability system called Cirrus. Um, When we have the data, it leads first to exclusion decisions, but it also leads to ESG scores. And we say a company which is in its sector part of the better 50%, so of the best in class 50. This is a company which is relatively almost sustainably enough. I mean, we all know you can't be too sustainable. However, to be part of the upper 50% is for us a uh, 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 trustworthy indicator to say we can invest in this company. And then to focus more detail on your question, our idea was we also need to identify companies which are part of the bottom 50, but are having a reliable transitional trajectory. And there was no data we could found on the market to, uh, to you know, really to, to ground this decision. So we decided to work in sector trials. So all the portfolio managers on the equity side, on the fixed income side, together with our expert from the sustainability team. So in sum, I would guess around 80 people, they produced more than 250 transformation ratings this year. And you're right, there is no, let's say, uh, um, structure we found from the state, so we had to make up our own mind. And actually a a transformation rating is answering three questions, three main questions. The first is, has the company only a vision? Everyone has a vision. When I'm dreaming, I sometimes have visions, yeah? No, a vision is not enough. Does the company have a real plan? So with milestones, with, clear and transparent path to follow. Second question is, has the company sufficient, let's say investment capacities to make the plan happen? And the third question is, are the right and important incentives for the top management teams to use the money to make the plan reality? It sounds now kind of simple when I describe this with those three questions, however, It was kind of a challenge to make this happen in all our IT system, to implement this collaboration of the equity, the fixed income and the sustainability experts on a daily basis. And um, yeah, so we were happy that we started 30 years ago uh, when we issued the first sustainability fund that there was so much knowledge in the company that we didn't need that we didn't need to start from the cradle or from the very beginning. But really that we yeah, could start from the scratch on this knowledge to build up own trans uh, transformation ratings, and these are the evidence that we talk about reliable transformation.
1: About, um, executive incentives that you're monitoring to ensure that companies stay the course what does that encompass in your view what is credible
2: yeah we're focusing on the executive payments and then more importantly on the variable compensation so best companies have targets of 30 percent in their short and their long-term variable com- compensation linked to sustainability objectives these sustainability objectives should, of course, be linked to the company strategy. So let's say carbon emission reduction, uh, uh, working satisfaction, working safety, to make some important examples. So um, it shouldn't be too easy, let's say, to, to reach this target. This is the third dimensions. So how ambitious are the targets? you see therefore engagement takes so long time <laughs> there are different layers of making compensation fit for purpose it's you know having the right portion uh, so 30% um the right, the right time frame which is short and long term and the right ambition levels and um yeah we will keep on working to make this happen for as as much companies as possible the bigger the company is the more probable it already has some uh, structures in place. The smaller the company is, the more we still have to work to make this happen.
1: One interesting discussion that we had during COP, actually, with some of the asset managers is the importance or kind of like non-importance of having an ESG committee at the firm you are investing in. So what is your take on this issue? Do you think it's worth for a company you invest in to have one dedicated ESG committee? Or this is something that is less relevant, and even in the worst-case scenario, is a bit of a greenwash, shall we say?
2: I would say somehow it's trouble about words. Important is that they have a sustainability competence in the executive and supervisory board. Now, sustainability is, as digitization, a topic for the next generation. So if I see a supervisory board where there's no uh, uh, competency, no, no, no talent for sustainability, I, I, of course, ask myself, how do they find the right way in the future? So, you know, how they call it, we don't think that is too important, but that they have the talent, that they have the, uh, the competence. This is very important.
1: So, it's for example, if there is a dedicated board member, be it kind of like head of risk or kind of like head of accounts, I don't know, who also has a function of looking at sustainability targets and objectives that would be good enough. You just don't have to have, for example, ESG kind of like board member on that board.
2: I'll just give you two extreme examples. If you have somebody being responsible for sustainability, it's of course better than having nobody at all. But if this person works in communication, that would be a bad sign, a bad signal. If this person works in strategy, it would be a better signal if this person reports directly to the ceo it would be an even better signal and if the ceo himself or herself has the has the responsibility to take care for the topic it would even be a more ambitious signal however you know signals and ambitions this is coming back to our cop discussions discussion in the end it counts what are what what, what results are you producing So I prefer a company with perfect results and, you know, a not optimal governance structure than a company which has um, the best uh, uh, names for the positions and committees, but is not producing any results at all.
1: Henrik, one of the interesting setups you had within the team is actually to have kind of like a monetary incentive uh, for portfolio managers to integrate ESG kind of thinking into their decision-making. So it's been, I think a couple of years since we've discussed that, but how has it worked for you? And do you still have that structure in place?
2: Yeah, we, we it's again a structure which uh, is there to stay. And um, we're very happy uh, that uh, we decided to um, link this compensation component to actions which are really you know, generating knowledge for our sustainability database. So first we had discussions like, you know, let's link the sustainability piece to um, the ESG score, for example, of a portfolio an asset manager is responsible for. But then we understood that actually with one trade, you can improve the ESG score of a portfolio, but we don't want to give people money for a single trade. We want to give people money if they generate knowledge, which helps us to generate value for our uh, our customers. And therefore, it's the number and quality of uh, entries in our serious database um, um, as a result of company meetings. This is what we support. And also, of course, as important actually as this, um, the active uh, approach by producing these transformation ratings we're talking about. So to uh, participate actively in the uh, sector trials we, uh, we, we set up.
1: One question I wanted to ask was about hard to obey sectors. So I am thinking about aviation, transport, summons. So in there, one difficulty is that you can't quite see how they're going to progress because technology is still nascent and developing. In, in that regard, how do you assess their trajectory? Because I've heard the view that you can look at CAPEX and the research and development. So how are you approaching those specific difficult cases?
2: Yeah, aviation, this is on biofuel, this is on using modern technologies. So it's an investing issue if you want to. Um, then we also have, um, let's say, uh, salmon, for example. Yeah, there are just a few companies which are uh, fulfilling the requirements stipulated by the EU taxonomy to be at least part of climate adaptation there. For the vast majority of the of companies working in this sector, sustainability is a very long way to go. However, I think we need to accept that we need concrete also in a sustainable future. We need aviation also in a sustainable future. So to say it's so hard to, it's so hard for them that they need longer time to arrive in a sustainable future. And until they are there, until they arrive there, we need to exclude them. This is not realistic. And I mean, it's not a question about utopia and realism. It's a question on what is our obligation to arrive really in the future we are wishing for. And then just closing your eyes and saying I exclude them and I don't do anything, this is not supporting our collective goal. And therefore, you know, choose the better of the group, this is our approach and the better are which are part of the best in class 50 all which have a positive transitional rating. Um, all the others are not part of the club and are uh, um, excluded yeah that's the other part of the truth.
1: Henrik, I want to think about uh, what your kind of like priorities are going into the next year. What are those and why are you focusing on those specifically, especially when we think about the whole transition conversation?
2: Yeah, my opinion is actually that sustainability is not only important for the next year, but for the next generation. So the topics we were touching on in our discussion will remain and will stay the same for the next years. How do we identify reliable transformation? How do we, do we distinguish reliable transformation from transformation as a vision? Because you know in the first, we need to invest, the first companies we need to support and the latter we need to exclude. So for us, after now, we set up this strategy of, inf- of investing in reliable transformation our task for the next year is to make this better and better and better to make it more consistent from sector to sector to really learn with all the companies on their on their trajectory to you know exclude not stricter but better this is if i have to say it in one sentence you know the main task of the investment industry how do we exclude better instead of excluding just stricter and uh, yeah there are many many methodologies to answer this very simple question
0: the selectors show let's talk about esg is sponsored by invesco Today's professional investors are overloaded with more information than ever. At Invesco, we help professional investors see the possibilities ahead by cutting through the noise to the ideas that matter. Visit Invesco.com to see how. Invesco. Let's advance together. Capital at risk.